Ever since the law of Moses was given to the Jewish people about 3,500 years ago, they have been observing a system of seven feasts, four in the spring of the year and three in the fall. They continue to observe those feasts today. The feasts relate to the agricultural cycle, but they are also memorials of great events in Jewish history. But could the feasts also have prophetic importance that relates both to the first and second comings of the Messiah? Stay tuned for an interview with an expert on the feasts. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have with me today my colleague Nathan Jones and our special guest, Michael Norton. Hey, Michael. Good to meet you. Glad you're on Christ in Prophecy. Thank you very much. I'm glad you brought your book, Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast. I hear, though, you're a businessman, so what's a businessman's credentials have to do with the feasts? <laughs> well, actually, I live three lives. Okay. I, I am a, a financial advisor for about the last 33 years, <clears throat> and also had a TV show called The Garden Guy. I uh, teach and put lectures on, on organic gardening and farming. Excellent. And uh, I also, I was graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary in the early 70s, and I was in the pastorate for two churches. And then I have taught uh, the scriptures for, for over 40 years, and I was on the staff of several ministries, uh, one being Campus Crusade for Christ. Awesome. Oh, you sound like a renaissance yeah, man. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, feasts, gardening, I can see the it combination. It all comes together. It all comes together. But basically, you've been a student of the Bible all your life. Yes. Okay. Well, I tell you, I am so excited about your book, Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast. And the subtitle is, The Prophecies in the Feasts of Leviticus, right? Yes. You know, one of the things that uh, really hooked me on that book when I started reading it was that you, you actually came to me before you had it published and had me read the, the manuscript. But you didn't have something in it at that point, and that was the preface. And when I got the book and I read the preface, I think I laughed for the next 30 minutes because you told three stories. Number one, how you got interested in prophecy. Number two, how you got interested in the feast. And number three, how you got interested in writing. Tell us those stories. Well, it's interesting. I, uh, I, was, I decided when I was in college back in the early you know, the 60s, I decided that I wanted to take an adventurous train trip to Mexico City. What was this, a missions trip or something? Basically a missions trip, oh. and everyone said, oh, you you got to be careful. There's there's desperados. They Absolutely. They people into trains. And so I had a big imagination, and I was nervous, and I was looking around, and I was going to spot those uh, desperados before they spotted me. So what did you do? Did you drive down to, to like, Juarez? And, uh, Laredo. Laredo. And, 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 and then we down to Mexico City okay. for two days on the train. Two days on the train. Two right. days. And I, was, I saw a gentleman that had long hair and a big mustache and a stern look on his face. And he'd been around the block a few times. I thought, there's one of those desperados. <laughs> and I was, I was watching him. And I noticed some people were coming to talk to him. And I thought, now this is interesting. They're maybe planning their heist. So I walked over to find out what they were talking about, thinking I would know Spanish. And he was talking about prophecy. He was talking about the rapture, tribulation period, and the millennial kingdom. Now, this is interesting. And so I started asking him questions. And I said, where can I learn more about this prophecy? And he says, well, you might start by going to Dallas Theological Seminary. And he introduced himself as Hal Lindsey. 
So Hal Lindsey was your bandito, huh? <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> that is amazing. It was. And so later on, I did go to Dallas Seminary, and one day I decided to. We'd, a bunch of our friends would go to uh, out to lunch after church at this place called Shaky's Pizza, and and uh, uh, people with with friends and and uh, uh, strangers alike would all sit together in the same table. And I was sitting there, and there was a gentleman right in front of me that um, he's a bald-headed gentleman, and I noticed he had a sheepish grin on his face, and smoke was coming out the back of his head. And I, I said, sir, do you realize that there's smoke coming out the back of your head? He got so embarrassed, he pulled out the cigarette. Well, I'm a Jew, and I have just accepted Jesus is my Messiah. I believe in Jesus as my Messiah. I didn't know how church people thought about smoking. When I saw you church people, I decided to hide it. And we had a laugh over that. And I asked him, well, what came to you to uh, uh, believe in, in Jesus as the Messiah? And he told me about prophecy again and how they were fulfilled. I thought, this is fascinating how, how he came to see this. And then as we were leaving, he says, oh, and by the way, the secrets are in the feasts. And that lodged in my memory, all the secrets are in the feast. This gentleman was Zola Levin. Oh, no. <laughs> and this was shortly after he had become a Christian. Yes. Right? And he knew that already. Yes. And, and, and if our viewers don't know, Zola Levitt later became uh, one of the uh, leading Messianic uh, Jewish teachers and television personalities in America. Incredible. A writer and all Yes. And so... <laughs> so you were introduced to prophecy by Hal Lindsey. Mm -hmm. You were introduced to the feast by Zola Levitt. All right, now the third step. And then I, one, uh, a number of years, quite a number of years later, I was sitting in this restaurant, and I. I now, where was this? Here in Texas. In, here in Texas, and uh, I noticed that uh, a gentleman that was sitting at a table next to mine was Tim LaHaye, because I'd recognized him from the book uh, he wrote. The book he wrote on uh, Left Behind series. Yes. And so I started talking to him about prophecy. Obviously, I got to talk about something. I was here; he was, and I started sharing with him some of the things that I had learned about the feast. Because I, uh, at one time, they asked me to teach a series of seven lectures on the scriptures, and I thought, well, there's seven feasts, there and go. they said, you, you teach on the feast, and I realized I didn't know anything about the feast, and and so I I, I asked my colleagues; they didn't know anything about the feast. So I went to the rabbis, some messianic, some non-messianic, said, please teach me in the feast. And they poured their heart out to me. And I started connecting the dots, and I said, I found the mother load. <laughs> and, and it was so exciting. And so I started sharing with, with uh, Tim LaHaye what I had learned. He says, we've never, we've never been here this. We, we, we're not taught this. You need to write a book. This is incredible. <laughs> I said, well, I've never written a book. Oh, well, let me teach you how to write a book. And I says, oh, he sold more books in Harry Potter. He's going to teach me how to write a book. And so we sat down He, he uh, and that's how I got to write the book. Wow. I, I tell you, I think I can just see the Lord's hand in all that. Hal right. Lindsay introduced you to prophecy, Zola Levitt to the feast, and then you run across Tim LaHaye who has this heart for writing and touching people's hearts through writing and he encourages you to write. And so you wrote. That's right. And and as I, I teach the feasts and, and people read about the feasts, what I've learned from the rabbis, they're just as excited about it as I am. Well, I want us to come back in just a moment and you tell us some things about the feasts, okay? All right.
Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy. Uh, Dr. Reagan and I are in the process of interviewing Michael Norton concerning his new book about the Feasts of Israel. Michael, can you tell us a little bit about the overview of the Feasts of Israel and what are they about and when do they occur? Yes, we have seven feasts and we have the first four feasts are what we call the spring feasts. Okay. And then we have the, the last three feasts we call the fall feasts. Now we have Passover <clears throat> and, then, and then we have the uh, that we have the feast of unleavened bread, and then we have the feast of first fruits, and then Pentecost. Now Pentecost is the same uh, feast in the Old Testament we call the feast of weeks. Then, before you go to the fall on those spring feasts, the first three are very close together, aren't they? Yes, very close together, and you've got fifty days after the uh, feast of first fruits to Pentecost. So that would put Pentecost in what, May almost and June? It's almost in the summer. Yeah. And, um, and then we have the fall feast, the longest period of time between mm -hmm. uh, the feast, and that has significance too. But then we have the feast of trumpets, which we call Rosh Hashanah. And, and that's in September or October. About yeah, September, a, a latter part of, of September. And then we have the... Uh, the Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement, we call it. And then uh, five days later, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. What book of the Bible were these feasts established? Oh, Levitic Leviticus 23. And you can find all seven in Leviticus yes. 23? Mm -hmm. Okay, fascinating. Now, they're all tied to an agricultural system too, right? Yes. In fact, the, the uh, spring uh, feast, uh, first, as you know, the Passover was... Uh, to remind them of how God got them out of, of Egypt. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to remind them of the swiftness of leaving Egypt. And then... Why does it do that? Why does it remind it, them of the swiftness? Well, because they, they didn't have time for leavening the bread. They had to uh, travel with unleavened bread. and But that has so much more significance to the Jews and, and, and to us now. And, and as I share in my book, and then we have the Feast of uh, First Fruits, which is incredible. That is the barley harvest. And then after uh, that, when we have the Feast, uh, and then of course that is uh, a, a big, the First Fruits is a big, big uh, event. And then we have the Feast of uh, Pentecost, and that is the uh, uh, wheat harvest. Now, these feasts were not observed until they were into the land, of course. Okay, so they waited 40 years. Right. Now, wh how did the, 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 the feast uh, get the name Pentecost? Because of the 50 days between, uh, uh, from the feast of, of first fruits uh, to that feast. And that's a Greek Pente term, Pentecost? Yes, Pentecost. And, uh, and, of course, it has to do with the, uh, the Jubilee and the, the, and the um, uh, the Sabbaths, and uh, that is, and they would count what they call the Omar, which I explained, which is very... And then you have some like a five-month period there before you get yes. to the fall feast. Now, right. how, or how the fall feasts relate either to the agricultural cycle or to history? Well, it's interesting because five in the, in the Jewish uh, system is always symbolic of God's grace. And the, the, what we call the silent years, uh, uh, the, uh, in, in our time, the, the fall feasts, uh, when you relate it to Christ. But the fall feasts are uh, interesting because the Feast of Trumpets is the new year for the Jewish New Year, and they celebrate that. And then we have 
the uh, Day of Atonement where they would uh, get forgiven or get their sins covered for another year. But then the significant uh, from the harvest part is the Feast of Tabernacles when not only did they, it would remind them of how God took care of them in, in the wilderness, they, it was also a, a time of celebration. All the harvests were, were finished, including the fruit harvests of the fall, and their vats were full, and the, and the barns were full, and they could celebrate God's provision. Yes, and that's a wonderful celebration time in Israel. Yes. At a time everybody takes off for a week. <laughs> it's kind of like our Thanksgiving, yes. except it's a week long, and they just go right. to the beach, and they go to the Galilee, and they... <laughs> Uh, take Great off time. from work. <laughs> Great time. Do you so. think God tied these feasts to the harvest to remind the people to celebrate them? Oh yes, oh yes, and it, it because it all has to do with God's provision. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about um, the prophetic significance of these feasts. Before we do that, go back and 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 tell us something about each one of these feasts. Like your book is so full of insights about yeah. the feasts. Give us some nuggets here about some of these feasts. Well, From the I, Jewish viewpoint and all this. Uh, like yeah. the Passover. There's a part about the wood that kind of is like the cross. Mm-hmm. That part really, can you tell me about that? Yes, the, it, it's interesting. Uh, Justin Martyr had uh, uh, brought this out in, in his writings that uh, when, when the lamb was, was sacrificed, what was uh, sacrificed? The Passover lamb. The, the Passover okay. lamb in the temple. They would put it on a pomegranate uh, pole and they would have a crossbar to hold it up, and they would take the, his innards and wrap it around his head. And when they would look at it, it, it was very much an appearance of Christ on the cross, wow. our Passover lamb. Oh, wow. man. Isn't that something? <laughs> Go ahead, tell us something about the, the other feasts from the Jewish people. <clears throat> well, I would like to mention, too, what was, was very fascinating to me was the Passover lamb. Um, because remember... When the angel uh, came to the the shepherds and said, "Go into Bethlehem, yes. and and you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and in, in, in the manger. That'll be a sign for you." Did you ever wonder why that was a sign? Yeah, sure, I've wondered. Yeah, well, I didn't even wonder. <laughs> I just well, that sounds like, nice. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I found out that from the rabbis it was an incredible sign because. Uh, in Micah 5 2, it said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, the, the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But it also in Micah 4 8 said he'd be announced at Migdal Edar, the Tower of the Flock. And a friend of mine who does excavating in, in Israel said that they had discovered the remains of Migdal Edar, the Tower of the Flock. Yes, that's right. It's outside of Bethlehem, about five miles, and uh, it's a two story, it was a two story tower, and the, the shepherds would look out at the field and see the uh, sheep far off and on the bottom floor they would bring in the pregnant sheep and to assist in the birth in, in the birthing why it's because they were not the lowly shepherds that we think of they were priests that worked at the temple that were doing shepherding work to make sure that the lambs were born without blemish for sacrifice to the temple wow. so when the lamb was was born they would take strips of cloths that they made from recycled uh, priestly undergarments and they would wrap the lamb tightly so it wouldn't get blemished and then they would place it up on the manger so it wouldn't get trampled. So when the shepherds, the priestly shepherds saw the baby Jesus prepared just like their lambs, their pass their Passover lambs, they said this, they went actually ballistic. This is the <laughs> Lamb of God prepared for sacrifice, unblemished for him. That's why they were excited. 
I th- and, and the thing that gets me is that in every chapter of your book, you have uh, gems like that, uh-huh. that you have gotten a lot of them you've gotten from uh, Jewish sources, mm-hmm. uh, from both Messianic Jews and Orthodox Jews. And uh, from beginning to end, the book is just full of little gems like that that you get you so excited. And uh, I just can't recommend the book highly enough. It, yes, it, 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 when I saw all these things and how it was tying in, we're all pointing to Christ in everything. It was it, I was I was flabbergasted. Well, let's get more excited. Let's come back in a okay. moment and talk about how these relate to prophecy. Yes. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our interview of Michael Norton regarding the feasts of Israel. Michael, you were telling us a little about the agriculture, a little about the history. This is the part we want to get into. What, tell us about the prophetic meaning of these seven feasts, how they relate to Christianity and to the life of Jesus. Yes, what I discovered, it was like God's playbill or playbook on what his plans are for the ages. And the first four uh, feasts are, the spring feasts are in all the integral details of his first coming. First coming. The, the fall feast, the uh, three fall feasts are all about his second coming and it's just as much in detail. So that there's a big gap between the two means and, something? Right. Because the, it means the, because the, the large separation between his first and his second coming. Now, what is interesting oh. in, in the Passover, you have uh, the, uh, we think of his, of the justification when he, he was sacrificed at Passover. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we think of sanctification because our sins were buried with Christ. He, he was buried at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we are to live, uh, uh, walk in a sinless life to Him and in our lifestyle. And then we see in the first fruits, we was resurrected in the first fruits, we think of glorification. And then Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, um, is when we get the Holy Spirit. Now, what is interesting is in the Feast of Weeks, we, they received the law, okay? And nine, I mean, 3,000 men died. Well, in the Pentecost, when we got the Holy Spirit, 3,000 men were saved. The law brought death. The Spirit brought life. Yeah. So you're saying the Feast of Pentecost in Jewish uh, viewpoint looks back to the giving of the law at Sinai. Yes, yes. and they yeah. had the same things happen yeah. at both feasts, which is quite fascinating. So you, the first four feasts, you've got a Passover pointing to a, a prophecy of the death of the Messiah. The unleavened bread is a feast that points to the prophecy of the burial of the Messiah. And the first fruits is the resurrection. In fact, uh, the first fruits always lands on Sunday. Yes. Always on Sunday, and that's when he was resurrected. And then you have a period of 50 days, and you come to the Feast of Harvest or Pentecost, and that is the establishment of the church and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day. Right. And Feast of Weeks established basically Israel because they got the law. Yeah. So you've got all those fulfilled in the Christian experience. Mm-hmm. What about the three? And then, and then you've got the five months, which, yeah, is, which is, is sort of the church right. age, I guess. Yeah. Now let me mention, too, quite briefly before we go into the yeah. fall feast. That first fruits is very interesting because when when Mary uh, Magdalene saw Jesus, he wanted to give him a hug, and he says, "You can't touch me yet. Yeah. I haven't been." That's a mysterious statement. Yes, yeah. and I thought, well, how rude! <laughs> she just wanted to give you a hug. Get over it. Well, 
I found out, I was looking in Josephus to find out his take on first fruits because he was a contemporary histor uh, Jewish historian. He said, during the Feast of First Fruits, we were not even allowed to touch the barley until the first fruits had been presented to God at the temple. He was the first fruits, Jesus was the first fruits of many brethren. And he said, tell your brethren I'm going to the Father. So he apparently went to the Father, then came back and said, hey, uh, uh, Thomas, you can touch me now, you're kosher, you're acceptable to God. The, the barley in the field became kosher or acceptable to the Lord because of what the first roots had done. We became acceptable to the Lord not for what we did, but what our first roots did. Once again, one of those wonderful gems that you have woven into the story all along. It's incredible. And, and looking at uh, the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, it, now we're going to the fall. The fall feast. We're going into September. We're going into uh, uh, getting insights on the second coming now. Okay, now these are the, the three feasts you're going to talk about that have not been fulfilled. Not, have, not been fulfilled. And it's interesting because uh, the, the uh, Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah as they call, they, it came on the new moon. And they celebrated... It two days. The reason they celebrated for two days because they no one knew the hour or the day or the hour of the new moon, <laughs> and they would they would watch and Just watch. We don't know the day or hour of the coming of the Lord. <laughs> exactly. And when, when they would determine it, the new moon had shown up. Then they started uh, blowing trumpets and mm -hmm. there are hundred different blasts. And I show in my book the significance mm -hmm. of each one of those blasts. But the last blast was the Takia Hagadola. It's a long blast. And it very possibly is the, the, the last trump that Paul is referring yes. to in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, we'll be caught up at the last trump. So, are you saying that most likely the rapture will occur on the feast? It's very trumpets? possible because in the, in the spring feast, he fulfilled everything he did on the very day of the feast. I know, I know. Well, so we know the day and hour, though, then? No, we don't. That's why we have to celebrate it two, uh, two days. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and, and went on the year. And, mm -hmm. But I tell you what, I called, the year. I called Zola Levitt one time many years ago, back in the 80s, and I said, uh -huh. Zola, do you believe that the rapture is most likely to occur on the Feast of Trumpets. And he said, well, of course, what's the matter with you? <laughs> he said, every year I get my calendar, the first thing I do, I look for the Feast of Trumpets. And he said, I put a big red circle around it. And he said, the closer we get to it, the harder I pray. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I do. <laughs> well, also what is interesting, between the last day of the Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, and Yom Kippur. How many days are we the, talking? Ten? We're seven. Seven days. days. Between, you know, between them. Yeah. Okay. Well, the priest and the high priest would go into hiding because they didn't want to be defiled. Okay. We as a kingdom of priests will be with our high priest for seven years after the rapture with our high priest. And then we will, when we, at the end of seven years while the tribulation is finishing its work, Christ will come back and we will come with him. We'll be dressed in white. Hope you guys look good in white, okay? And uh, and the Jews will look up and recognize Jesus as the the one who they have pierced, according to Zechariah 12. Okay. And all of Israel at that point will be saved. Their their sins will be covered, like in the Old Testament. So the fulfillment of Yom Kippur will be the second coming yes. and the and the salvation of the Jewish remnant. Yes, and the Jews uh, traditionally expect the Messiah to show up at Yom Kippur. Oh. How about that? And then. We have later the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, the celebration. Yes, the celebration. And we'll be celebrating 
the, the uh, Christ tabernacling or dwelling with us in his kingdom, his millennial kingdom. But here's what's also quite fascinating. There is an addendum to that feast. It's a seven-day feast, but it has eight days. That last day, the eighth day, you know, eight uh, is symbolic or, or reminding the Jews of new beginning. It means right. new beginning. Right. They call it the Feast of Eighth Day. It, it's the addendum to the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And when they're packing up in their sukkah and their hut and everything ready to go, they says, hold on, we have one more celebration. That's the Feast of the Eighth Day. And they're to look forward to our eternity with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. Wow. Uh, all these feasts point to Christ. Yeah, even the Jews uh, recognize the uh, Feast of Tabernacles as, as being prophetic in the sense that it means the Messiah is going to come and tabernacle with us. Yes, yes. Now, something else you point out about the Feast of Tabernacles, and that is you think that Jesus was born during that time. Yes, that's quite, uh, quite interesting because Luke let the cat out of the bag when he, <laughs> when he said, Zacharias, uh, when the angel uh, visited him, they said that he was of the order of Abiyah, which is in First uh, Chronicles 24.10. And in the Talmud, I discovered that they were on the eighth week at the temple. So the, the priests are divided into groups. Yes. And, and we know exactly in what order they... they uh, uh, in 24 were, groups. 24, like 24 elders around yeah. the throne? Yes. Yeah, and, and we knew in what order that they ministered at the temple. Yes. And so we know in the Hebraic calendar when he was there. Yes. And so assuming that he went home... And Elizabeth became pregnant with John the Baptist yeah. at that point. We count the, the weeks and we have found that John the Baptist had to be born at Passover. Of course, Jesus called him the Elijah of that right. day. And they always looked at Elijah as coming at the Passover. And Jesus was conceived six months later. Six months later in the Hebraic calendar, we find out he was born at the feast of of tabernacles, which is in October. Yes. The, the shepherds would not have been in the field in December. Right. I guarantee you, they, in October. And then you count backwards and you find out he was conceived at Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights and uh, the tabernacles is the show of lights. And he says, I am the light of the world. What a couple of bookends is that? Well, folks, uh, what you're seeing here is just nugget after nugget after nugget of, of wonderful insights that are contained in Michael's book. And I want to encourage you to get a copy of it. I'm sure you can find it easily on the Internet. The title, once again, is Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Well, folks, that's our program for this week, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Nathan Jones and Dr. David Reagan saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. David Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages, contains a comprehensive overview of all aspects of Bible prophecy. It's written in an easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style that you will find appealing. In addition to all the prophecies concerning the first and second comings of the Messiah, it deals with a host of other prophetic questions, such as, what happens when you die? What will heaven be like? What's the future of the earth? Where is the United States in prophecy? To get a copy of God's Plan for the Ages, please call the number you see on the screen, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, and ask for it by name, or order online at lamblion.com.
Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 